Our uh, first scripture reading is from uh, the book of Job, one of the longer books of the, of the Old Testament. There's 42 chapters in the book of Job. Don't worry, I'm not going to read them all. Uh, this is going to be chapter 16. Uh, Job has this uh, calamity um, come upon him. He has some people show up who get things right initially and then uh, become a bit of a nuisance to him. And uh, Job sort of hits its limit. And this is what he has to say in verse 1 of chapter 16. It says, Then Job answered, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. <laughs> have windy words no limit? Or what provokes you that you keep on talking? I also could talk as you do if you were in my place. I could join words together against you and shake my head at you. I could encourage you with my mouth, and the solace of my lips would assuage your pain. If I speak, my pain is not assuaged, and if I forbear, how much of it leaves me. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, how many of you uh, remember the uh, comedian from the 60s and the 70s and the 80s named Norm Crosby? It's a dated reference for anyone probably under the age of 40. I should know because I'll turn <laughs> next month. <laughs> Norm, Norm Crosby was a comedian. He made it big in television and in nightclubs and even in uh, Las Vegas casinos. Well, early in his career, he realized that he needed some kind of a gimmick to help differentiate himself from other comedians who had also hit it big on uh, various uh, TV variety shows. And so he sort of molded his own career uh, using humorous uh, grammatical gaffes known as malaprops. So he would stand before audiences and with straight face sincerity say that people should have an apathy for each other. <laughs> he said, today's kids got to cut that umbrella cord and split. <laughs> he talked about his skinny dog looks emancipated. And then when he went to a tailor, it was because his pants needed an altercation. <laughs> well, yours truly has also uh, needed help with uh, words. Uh, I can remember uh, standing uh, before the congregation, and you know how sometimes your mind races ahead of your mouth. And in doing the Apostles' Creed, I said that Jesus suffered under conscious Pilate. <laughs> I think the worst may have been when one year uh, Christmas Eve fell on a Sunday morning and a family in the church wanted to have their infant son baptized. And there they were in the front row. This is back in the days we had those camcorders and there they're, they're filming it. And came time to do the baptism. And as they held that child, you say the child's first and middle name. And you say, child of the covenant. covenant. Yeah, this person said, child of the government. <laughs> Like Norm Crosby, I needed help with words. Well, the Apostle Paul gives us the help that we need with some words from a letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth. And so I'm going to invite you to join me as I read from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. The words are on the screen. They're not going to quite match the Pew Bible today because I'm going to be reading from the NIV translation. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, 
who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Well, friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Let us pray. And now, God, we pray that the words from your word would speak to us and bring to us the healing and hope and comfort of Jesus Christ as we pray it in his name. Amen. So we have this uh, tongue twister from the Apostle Paul. He says, we have a God of comfort who comforts us so that we might help others uh, in their comfort from the comfort that we have received. So there seems to be a word that Paul wants to indelibly write in our minds. Anybody want to guess what the word is? It's the word comfort. God is the God of comfort. Now, some of you out there may be thinking, well, if... John, if God is comforting me, then why do I still have all these problems? In other words, then why don't they just go away? Well, I think if that were the case, then people would only turn to God as a way of God getting rid of their pain and not because they love him. But, friends, God's love comes to us as strength and encouragement and hope. And the bigger the problem, the greater the comfort. Ask anybody in this church who has lost a loved one. And I'm willing to bet that they will say that they never could have made it through without the love of God. Amen. Amen. But you know, mourning and sadness and grieving takes many different shapes and forms. In her book, Necessary Losses, the author, uh, Judith Vorst, writes this. When we think of loss, we think of the loss through death of people we love. But loss is a far more encompassing theme in our life. For we lose not only through death, but also by leaving and being left, by changing and letting go and moving on. And our losses included not only our separations and departures from those who we love, but our conscious and unconscious losses of romantic dreams, impossible expectations, illusions of freedom and power, illusions of safety, and the loss of our own younger self, the self that thought it always would be unwrinkled and invulnerable and immortal. So you see, mourning takes a lot of different shapes and forms. But still, you may be asking that question, well, well why, why have I suffered? I mean, why did this happen? Or, or why did that happen? And, and one possibility is to give us this wellspring of experience that's deep enough to offer counsel and wisdom to others who are also suffering. Think about it. It's the person who has gone through the shattering effects of a, of a divorce who can best help someone who's going through a divorce. It's the person who has gone through bankruptcy that can best get alongside the person whose business has gone belly up, perhaps because of COVID. It's the couple who's been through the agony loss of a child who can help grieving parents 
who are worried about their sick child who may be near death. It's the person who has lost a spouse that can come alongside the newly widowed. Again and again and again, it is whom the late author uh, uh, Henry Nouwen calls the wounded healer that God uses most powerfully in the lives of people. Okay, so what does our comforter do? Well, the answer is so easy that I'm going to give it to you in the Greek. You are to be a parakletos. Para from the prefix, which means at one side of, and the root word kaleo, which means to call or invite. And so to be a comforter means to come alongside someone as in someone who is in pain. I'm beginning a new sermon series today. It will take us through this month of May and all the way to the end of June. I'm titling it Friendshape. And we're going to be looking at different friendships in the Bible and how those relationships were shaped by God and how those people shaped each other. And today, we're looking at a comforting friendship. This past year, I know, and you do too, that many people have felt lonely and isolated and like they've been in solitary confinement. And so maybe more at this time than any other, we truly need a friend. These are the people who show up. They come alongside to love, to listen, and then to be there for you when you really need it. And so if you're someone here today who has gone through some struggles in your life, maybe this past year, maybe even longer than that, and you've been comforted by God, you are exactly the kind of people that God wants to send out into the world to comfort others. Now in the church, that can be just about anyone. It doesn't just have to be the pastor. It can be elders, deacons, trustees, members of the church. You show up in the name of Jesus to offer your love and your care and your comfort. Last weekend, I was away in Huntington, West Virginia. I got to preach at my uh, good friend's church, John Minahan, there. And uh, he told me about a young woman in his church who was diagnosed with breast, breast cancer. Well, she had the surgery, and then she had to go through various uh, treatments of chemotherapy and radiation, sort of as a, as a precautionary follow-up. Well, the deacons in that church started contacting other members in order to bring meals over uh, to this woman after her appointments, because they knew that she would be exhausted from those treatments and not have the energy to cook. And so the church sort of rallied around her and, and, and took care of her and her family. Well, here's the really interesting part. Most of the people who signed up to bring food were also breast cancer survivors. And, and John said to me, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it sure sent a powerful message. And the message was, we're here with you and for you, and we're going to walk together with you through this. And then another message we made it, and you can make it too. So let me ask you, will you be a paracletos to, to come alongside someone, especially when they really need it? One thing that we need to do is to listen. You know, it's really hard to know how to be a friend unless we listen to them. And if you are uh, someone in your life who is a good listener, you probably often know the needs of the other person better before they know them themselves. 
but it's, it's hard being a good listener. I mean, how often, be honest now, how often do we find ourselves rehearsing what we're going to say while the other person is still speaking? That's not listening. If we are to truly listen to what the other person is saying, we have to forget all about what we want to say next, and then you sort of exist for that moment. It's almost like a movie where everything around is blurry, but the two people in the center shot are crystal clear. What a gift, though, it is when we listen, because when we listen to someone, what we're really saying is, hey, you really matter to me. And, and that can be to a number of people in different stages of life. Maybe it's the child who comes home and is trying to stammer out how their day went. It could be to the elderly parent who is telling you a story that you've heard so many times you can practically lip sync it along right there with them. Or maybe the person who's talking about people who lived long ago, about events that happened a long time ago, and you find your eyes glazing over and you find yourself zoning out. Don't, don't. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing. Dr. Paul Brand likes to ask his patients, who helped you most in your suffering? And this is what he says is usually the response. He says, I hear strange, imprecise answers. The person described rarely has smooth answers and a winsome, effervescent personality. It is someone quiet and understanding, who listens more than he talks, does not judge or even offer much advice. Someone there when I needed her, someone who gave me a hand to hold, a shared lump in the throat, two hearts pulling at one load. Now, the book of Job, which I read from earlier, is a good example of how not, not to come alongside. If you know the story, Job is this wealthy agribusiness tycoon who has one of the greatest empires in all the world. And then it all collapses and crumbles. The Sabaeans run off with his cattle. The Chaldeans run off with his camels. A hurricane comes along and flattens his house. It kills his seven sons and three daughters. If that weren't enough, boils attack his body from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. Well, one day, Job is sitting on the rubble and ash heap of, of his belongings. He is scraping his sores with broken pieces of pottery when along come three members from the local church representing the Congregational Care Committee. Bildad, Eliphaz, and Zophar. And with friends like these, who needs enemies? In the immortal words of Mark Twain, they are good people in the worst sense of the word. They come to Job's side and they hold a theological seminar right there on Job's ash heap. And for an entire week, they give him their collected wisdom. And oh, what pearls of wisdom they are. They say things like, well, Job, God is a just God and a just God causes Good things that happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And judging by what's happened to you, it must have been a real humdinger. Who was she, Job? Have you fudged on your 1040 IRS form? And then Bildad chimes in. Does God pervert justice? If your children have sinned against God, then God has delivered them into the power of their transgressions. They must have sinned something awful for this to have happened to them. And all of this is too much even for the patience of Job. Job says, miserable comforters are you all. Will your long-winded speeches ever end? 
In other words, Job was saying, hey, guys, give it a rest. Have you ever noticed that if you are someone who has been in a hospital bed or sick at home or even in deep grief, Christians are the last people that you want to come to visit you? Why do you think that is? I think it's because that we as Christians have this kind of compulsion to sprinkle rose petals on the jagged edges of life. There is this temptation that we have to kind of minimize the pain that the other person is experiencing because it, it just makes us uncomfortable. And so we either want to change the subject or we want to dust off some of our own theological thinking because we think that what the person most needs in that moment are answers. And there are well-intended Christians, I know they are, who want to try to smooth everything over with Bible verses. And just so we're clear, I am not against God's word speaking to us in the midst of crisis of life. But sometimes it's just not the right verse or the right time. So, for example, someone might say to a, a woman who has just suffered a miscarriage, oh, Romans 8.28, all things work together for good for those who love God. Or James 1.2, count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you face various trials. Or sometimes we don't even need the Bible. Sometimes we can just say things that are flat out unhelpful. I came across a top 10 list of not so very helpful things to say to someone who is experiencing the loss of a loved one. I won't read them all, but you're going you're gonna to remember some of these. God, need them, God needed them more than you do. Not helpful. Uh, God never gives you more than you can handle. You think this is bad? Huh, you should have lived through World War II. My personal favorite. Huh, I know just how you feel. Last week my cat died. <laughs> now, we kind of hear crash statements like this, and then we can be begin to understand why Job told his friends to zip it. So friends, we need to go beyond pat answers or hurtful platitudes in order to truly become effective Christian caregivers. As is often the case, it's the simplest things that are the most powerful. It's an arm around the shoulder, touch of his hand, Kleenex tissues to wipe away the tears. It's honest and sincere sharing through prayer. It's a hug when they need it. Mark 9.41 tells of giving a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. Or, if you like, it may be a cup of coffee. That's all they need in that moment. Here's what I know. What people most need are flesh and blood comforters to come alongside and be present with them. Uh, Margaret Alston who has gone home to be with the Lord, was one of the senior members of the church that I served in North Carolina. In fact, Margaret was on the search committee that called me to Wake Forest Presbyterian Church in January of 1998. She had moved out of her home and was in an assisted living care community. And one day, myself and one of our elders, a woman by the name of Sally Gad, decided we wanted to go visit Margaret and bring her communion. Well, we arrived at the care community where Margaret lived and she wasn't there. And one of the, the nurses told us that Margaret had run an errand to Walmart. Well, we had driven a pretty good way. And so Sally and I looked at each other and said, well, why not? So we made our way over to Walmart, but we couldn't find Margaret anywhere in the store. And so we're about ready to leave and go back to Wake Forest when Margaret drives right by me 
in the parking lot. And so I start running after her. And, and she was startled and, and, and just in that southern drawl. She said, John, what are you doing here? I said, Margaret, we, we've come to, to, to have communion with you. And she said, okay, but I got to go buy some fabric and other things in the store first. I said, no, no, Margaret, we want to have communion with you right now. We had communion with the bread and the cup right there through her car window in the Walmart parking lot amidst the, the clashing of shopping carts, the squeaking of brakes, and the honking of horns. And then we all bowed our heads, and we prayed the Lord's Prayer together. And there wasn't a dry eye among us. It really is true. There's nothing you can't find at Walmart. <laughs> including the healing care, comfort, power, and presence of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you as I close, is God bringing to your mind someone that you may need to go and comfort? Don't just say what a lot of us say, I'm guilty of it too. Uh, if there's anything I can do, just let me know. Will you call them on the telephone? Send them an email, drop them a card, send them a text, offer a meal, run an errand. Maybe it will be running over their home and just sitting with them for an hour. Be a comforting friend. Take the time to show up, listen, love, and care in Jesus' name. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Our gracious and loving God, in darkness and in light and trouble and in joy, we do come to you and we trust in the power of your love to sustain us and in the presence of your Holy Spirit to comfort us. We pray that you would stand by those who are sad today, who are grieving today, and comfort them with your Holy Spirit and give to all of us the good hope that we have in Jesus Christ as our risen Savior. May we continue to come alongside those whom we meet and be Christ-like caregivers as we come alongside them and listen and love them. And we ask it and we pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen.